and love is all that I can give to you. Love is more than just a game for two. Two in love can make it. Take my heart and please don't break it. Love was made for me and you. Welcome to Love Savers Radio, ministering the blessings of covenant. This is Walter and Sandy Fox from Love Savers Ministry, called by God to minister the blessings of the marriage covenant by enriching, encouraging, strengthening, and praying for the healing of marriages, especially marriages in crisis. Hi, Love Savers listeners. This is Keith Davis, the proprietor of the Golden Pear Cafes. As I enter my 30th year of marriage, I encourage you to seek the Lord's guidance and wisdom for your marriage, for He is the one who can help you day by day in building a lifetime of peace, joy, fond memories, and a beautiful family. When Anne walked into the Golden Pear to apply for a job as Golden Pear's first pastry chef, I had no idea that God had brought my future wife and mother of our three children literally to my front door. But that is exactly what he did. And although we have had our challenges and ups and downs, God has richly blessed our marriage and he gets the glory for our 30 years together. So I encourage you to seek God's will and use Love Savers as a resource to improve and bless your marriage. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Mark chapter 10, verse 9. Today's guest author is Dr. Julie Slattery. She wrote the book, Rethinking Sexuality. She says, sexual abuse, sex addiction, gender confusion, brokenness, and shame plague today's world, and people are seeking clarity and hope. Sandy talks with her today about her new book, Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design and Why It Matters. Let's listen. We're going to discuss your wonderful book, God's Design and Why It Matters, Rethinking Sexuality by Dr. Julie Slattery. What do you mean by rethinking sexuality? Why do you believe that Christians need a paradigm shift in their approach to sexual issues? Well, um, what I mean by it is that uh, we need to not just do more of what we've been doing as the Christian church in terms of how we're addressing sexual issues. We need to actually go back to the beginning and start with a new paradigm uh, of even asking the question, why do sexual issues matter? Why does God care about them? Because by and large, I think if you would ask most people, they'd say that their faith community and maybe even a, a Christian home you know, hasn't really prepared them for the kinds of questions and struggles that they're facing. And the larger culture is a lot more vocal in helping us understand our sexuality than, than Christian resources typically are. Right, and of course there's there's such a change from years ago to today. Um, the world sort of has a totally different view than what so many of us were brought up with. You write about you know three approaches the church can take towards sexuality. Can you explain those? 
Yeah. Um, so the traditional approach that the church has taken towards sexuality is pretty much silence. You know, to say, well, we don't really talk about those issues. If you want to get help with sexual issues, you need to go see a counselor. Um, you know, we're going to talk about the spiritual things. And we're seeing um, sort of the consequences of a generation that's been raised with silence from the church. What we begin believing is if the church doesn't talk about sex, then God must not talk about it either. And uh, and so people really are secularizing their understanding of sexuality. Um, the second approach is more of what we see modern churches doing today, which is a problem-solving approach where they recognize that there are a lot of people, for example, struggling with pornography, sexual addictions. Uh, there are victims of sexual abuse that need help. And so they begin creating groups, which, um, you know, support groups, which that's helpful and so much better than silence. But what tends to happen is people feel labeled, uh, like you have an issue, you're broken, go to this group, um, which, uh, which tells everybody else, well, then I must not have a problem with this. Or it creates like a shame culture where people are afraid to even say that they need help. Um, so the third approach is really what the book Rethinking Sexuality is, which is a discipleship approach of um, integrating our understanding of sexuality and sexual questions with the larger call of what it is to be a follower of Christ and integrating that into conversations uh, in Christian communities and Christian homes and in churches. Uh-huh. What do you mean by we have been sexually discipled by the world? What I mean is that the world has taught us how to think about sexual issues. Uh, I'd say most churches at best tell us a list of do's and don'ts related to sexuality, but they don't do a lot of training in terms of how to understand your sexuality. Uh, whereas the culture has done a great job of repeatedly in many different formats framing our worldview through education, through media, through even the way they present news items. Uh, we are modeled and taught how we should be addressing sexual issues. Why do you think sexual issues are so divisive within churches and families? How do we break the silence on these topics without stirring up unnecessary pain and conflict? Yeah, well, that's a really good point. Um, you know, they're divisive because, first of all, we don't know how to have healthy conversations about sexuality. And sexuality taps into so much of how we understand ourselves, our vulnerabilities, our pain, our wounds. And so when the topic is brought up, usually it feels like a hand grenade thrown in the middle of a room and people um, can get defensive really quickly and um, say, you don't understand where I'm coming from. Or I think a good example of this is the current conversations that just happen around LGBT issues. There are families and entire churches that are now splitting because uh, they disagree on a biblical view of, of issues 
related to LGBT. You know, some people will say, you know, Jesus loved everybody. We need to be loving. Other people will say we can't compromise the scripture, so we're going to stay with that. And you just see people not being able to resolve that disagreement. So um, the way we start with this and the way we bring up these conversations without causing unnecessary conflict, now let's recognize that there is going to be some necessary conflict right. because these are these are hard issues. Right. But we've got to start with saying not what do I think, but let's be committed to looking at what the scripture teaches and why God created us as sexual people. So that's really the starting place. And also, after looking at scripture, that other aspect of it is to try to have the compassion of Jesus in dealing with some of these issues, right? Absolutely. I think, yeah, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's just as important for us to have a theology of unity as it is to have a theology of sexuality, Um, because Jesus talked about um, striving for Christian unity and loving each other uh, as brothers a lot more than he talked about our sexuality. So uh, while, while really pursuing his heart about sexuality is super important, we've got to remember that we can't neglect um, even the greater teaching that the greatest of these is love um, and how we treat each other when we disagree and how we treat the world when we disagree with them on these topics is actually even more important than the disagreement itself. Right. What is the difference between the purity narrative and the biblical narrative? Would you talk about that a bit? Yeah, sure. So a narrative is is kind of the the train of thought or the story that helps us make sense of sexuality. And for the last several decades, the church, the Christian church, and I would say probably the Catholic church has been known primarily for a purity narrative that says... God created your sexuality for marriage, and the best thing you can do is save sex for marriage. And if you save sex for marriage, then God is going to bring a wonderful spouse. You'll get married. You'll have a great sex life. Everything will be wonderful. And I'm painting with broad brushes, but that's kind of what I think most young adults would say if they grew up in the church. That's what they heard. Uh, And, you know, the narrative goes, if you make a mistake sexually, then God can forgive you, but you kind of have a plan B now. You've kind of ruined the gift that you had to give your spouse. Um, And there are pieces of that narrative that is true, but it's a very limited understanding of our sexuality. Uh, So, for example, our sexuality is more than just having sex. Uh, It's our desires, our longings, our gender, and all of that has meaning and purpose, even outside of marriage, even if we're not sexually active. Um, And so the biblical narrative says that your sexuality is first and foremost actually a really powerful metaphor to help you understand something about the nature of God's love. And, you know, that's something that I impact quite a bit in rethinking sexuality, and it's a new concept for a lot of people. But when you understand that your sexuality is about far more than just getting married and having sex, it really helps you understand why most of us have experienced a lot of, I believe, an satanic attack against our sexuality, why sexuality is a spiritual battlefield, and why Jesus came to redeem us from our sexual wounds and our sexual sin. 
Uh-huh. You're right that sexual issues are ultimately spiritual issues. Why do you think we so often separate sexual and spiritual issues? Well, I think one reason is because, again, the church doesn't talk about these topics. So if you have never heard a Christian leader address uh, the real issues you're dealing with, like pornography, like uh, questions that you have about what's okay in the bedroom for a married couple, or, um, you know, real issues about sexual abuse and trauma, masturbation, you know, some of these issues, if you've never heard these talked about in the church, the assumption you make, even subconsciously, is there's a, a wall between spiritual things and sexual things, you know, and God doesn't really care about sexual um, because the church focuses on my prayer life and on reading the scripture and the sexuality is kind of this carnal thing. And so that's a big reason why I think that divide starts uh, is because we're never taught how to integrate the two. Whereas in scripture, if we read it faithfully, we actually see that the two are very much integrated. As a matter of fact, I don't think God ever wants us to think about our sexuality without making some connection to um, to its spiritual meaning and the metaphor of what it's supposed to be teaching us. And what is that metaphor that it's supposed to be teaching us? Yeah, well, the most important thing is that uh, it's teaching us about the nature of God's covenant love. So if you've ever read the Old Testament, for example, you'll see that consistently the the prophets in the Old Testament referred to God's people, the Israelites, as when they were worshiping other gods, he would use sexual terms to describe what they were doing. He'd say, you're prostituting yourself. Uh, you're like a harlot. You're like an unfaithful wife that's chasing another lover. And that's just one example. But if we look through Scripture, sexual language and the metaphor of marriage and covenant love and sexual faithfulness are used over and over and over again to teach us about the nature of God's promise to be faithful to his people uh, and his, his, his invitation of us having intimacy with him, of knowing him deeply. And so our sexuality is not just... Uh, about having babies or getting married and having sex. You know, that's, those are pieces of it. But the larger picture of it is that because we are sexual, we know what it is to long. We know what it is to be lonely. We know what it is to feel betrayed. We know what it is to be vulnerable and to be passionate. And all those experiences teach us something about the nature of the kind of love that God has for us. Amen. You write that everyone is sexually broken. Would you explain that for us? Why is this an important paradigm shift? Yeah, I think it's a really important one because our traditional mode of talking about sexuality and sexual brokenness is to identify certain people as sexually broken. So if you have a sexual addiction, you're sexually broken. Um, some would believe if you're same-sex attracted, you're sexually broken, or you're confused about your gender, uh, or, you know, if you are looking at porn, or you've been traumatized sexually, you're sexually broken. And we just have these categories, and we assume that sexual wholeness is the absence of symptoms. 
But if we really understand God's design for sexuality, we get that sexual wholeness is fully experiencing the metaphor that sexuality was supposed to be. So there are, for example, a lot of married couples who aren't looking at porn, but they fight about sex. Uh, It's become a tool in their marriage to manipulate or withhold. Or when they have sex, it's all about their own selfish pleasure instead of learning to love each other and serve each other. That's a form of sexual brokenness. But we don't call it sexual brokenness in our current understanding because we're like, well, they're married, they're having sex, I guess they're okay. But I believe that based on the scripture, God would look at it and say, that's not at all what I intended this gift to be used for. Um, So when you have a, a fuller understanding of what wholeness is, you start to realize that we all have had this gift tarnished in our lives. Uh, We all need to be seeking God's redemption and restoration. Uh Uh-huh. Why are many Christians hesitant to believe that God cares about our sexual brokenness? And how do we change this? Well, I think we change it by getting a glimpse of the spiritual significance of our sexuality. And I think we're starting to see that in our culture as we're becoming more aware of how ubiquitous pornography is, um, divorce, sex trafficking, uh, you know, these kind of things where we can all kind of look at those things and say, well, that's horrible, and childhood sexual abuse. Uh, and we start to recognize that this, these are not just random occurrences, that it actually... Is part of the enemy, the devil's work to destroy something that God made to be beautiful. And, uh, and then you start to have to ask the question, well, how about my own heart? You know, how has the enemy tainted and tarnished my sexuality in my marriage, in my singleness, in my journey? And uh, you start to realize that it's not okay to just say, well, you know, I'm always going to live with some brokenness and I guess I'll just never get over it. Um, But Jesus came to redeem every aspect of who we are, including our sexuality. And again, I think that most Christians don't think that way because we don't teach that way. When we talk about healing, we usually talk about uh, healing from physical ailments. We don't talk about healing from an affair in your marriage or healing from sexual trauma from your past uh, or healing from how, how wounded you were by conflict in your marriage. And we need to start talking that way and applying the truths of Scripture to something as intimate as our sexuality. Uh, we might have touched upon this a bit when we talked about compassion, but how can we embrace both truth and grace as we address difficult sexual issues with our loved ones and within our culture? Yeah, you know, that's such an important um, question because I think most people feel like you can't embrace both fully, um, like you have to choose one or the other. And the most obvious example of this is the LGBT conversation. But I think it's it plays out in a lot of ways. For example, I just talked to a mom uh, of a 19-year-old the other day who's, who's you know in a Christian home. They raised their son the right way, but he's sleeping with his girlfriend, and they don't want to stop. Okay, so here's a kid living in his parents' home. He's 19 years old. His parents have taught him well. 
what is the balance here of truth and love? You know, not compromising God's standard, but also not compromising how do I love this kid the way God loves me? And, you know, really the only way to accomplish both of those things is through the power of the Holy Spirit, as the Bible would say, having the mind of Christ. Because Amen. we know through, through Scripture that He was full of both truth and love. He never compromised one for the sake of the other. And so, you know, it's just really about what, again, the Bible tells us, you've got to be abiding in Jesus and trusting the Holy Spirit in the moment to give you the words of truth and also the spirit of love. Yes. Why do you say what you think about sex begins with what you believe about God? Yeah, because every sexual attitude and decision you have stems from somewhere. So, for example, do you believe that God created you as a sexual person? Well, you might say, yes. Okay, why do you think he created you that way? What's his purpose? Um, do you think that he has the authority to speak into your sexual decisions uh, or not? Is that kind of your own personal terrain where you get to make your own choices? And so these are all sexual questions, but they begin with theological questions. Do you believe that Jesus can heal sexual wounds? Uh, do you think that God is big enough to handle our temptations and to give us the strength to fight them? And so the conclusions we draw about any sexual issue is always going to be rooted in the deeper things about what we believe about who God is and our relationship with Him. I once wondered if, for instance, the new thing that you uh, brought up that maybe most people have heard about now, the hookup, which mm -hmm. means you, you know, have a sexual experience without... Um, any desire for anything further, marriage or relationship, no relationship, just the hookup. And do you think that if you ever looked at fornication, that Christ or the apostles might have looked upon fornication as like a sexual hookup definition today. Whereas if someone was um, going to be married and totally devoted to each other, mm -hmm. uh, that there was a different aspect to that where if intimacy happened that it wouldn't be considered fornication. Of course, um, there's always that terrible danger that there never would be any marriage, you yeah, know? Yeah, so, um, yeah I, I, yeah. I know what you're saying yeah. in terms of, you know, is, uh, do those two things both fall in the same category? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's why it's so important, I believe, to ask the why question. You know, why is fornication wrong to start with? Uh -huh. uh, is it just because it might lead to an STD or a pregnancy? Uh, no. You know, the reason why God defines fornication, sex outside of marriage, as immoral is because sexual intimacy was created to be a way of celebrating a covenant promise. So 
in some ways, uh, like uh, another pastor, Timothy Keller, said it this way. He said, when a couple has sex, they're doing with their body what they have promised to do with their whole lives. It's a way of giving yourself completely physically as a symbol of the way that you've given yourself completely spiritually and relationally, committing totally to that person. And again, when you talk about the covenant relationship God has with us, he gave himself totally to us. So when we take sexual intimacy outside of the covenant of marriage, even if you love the person, even if you think you're going to get married someday, you don't have integrity because you're doing with your body something that you haven't promised to do with your whole life. Uh, and that's and God calls that immorality or fornication. Or if it's outside of marriage and you're married, he calls it adultery because uh, because you're using sexual intimacy in a way that it was not intended to be used. It was only intended to be used within a covenant promise. Yeah, but what I was saying is, but what if that promise is that you will be spending the rest of your lives together? But, of course, the danger there is humanity, right? If that happens, you might not be so full of integrity to complete that promise. So I guess yeah. the Lord is really protecting you by saying, don't yeah. take any yeah. chances. Yeah, right? and, and you, right. you, might think some, you might think, hey, we're going to get married someday. Yeah. And make okay. the promise and commitment to each other. Right. But you haven't made it before God and man. You haven't. Yeah. If you're going to make it, make it today. <laughs> you know? Right, and, right, exactly. Um, so I think for most people, that's sort of a cop-out of, right. you know, we'll say, I feel in love, we right. are going to get married someday, so it's right. okay. Yeah. But, um, but you know, the thing about God's commands for us is they're good for us. Um, you know, it's just, I, I just meet so many men and women who, in the moment, they think, you know, God's trying to keep me from something that's good. Uh-huh. And He really is protecting you from vulnerability, physical, emotional, spiritual yes. vulnerability, yes. that in the long run is going to hurt you. Yes. And you know, there's really no research study that tells us that having sex with lots of different people is a good idea. Um, it leads to um, problems and bonding in the future. It leads to sexually transmitted diseases. It leads to, particularly in women, um, depression, suicidality sometimes, low self-esteem. And so when God says, I made this for uh, to be experienced in a, in a promise, a covenant relationship, our bodies bear that out. You know, I heard one person say, you can make cigarettes legal, but you can never make them healthy. And that's the same with sexuality. We can give ourselves all kinds of freedom to do whatever we want, but you'll never make that healthy or good for you. Right. Would you tell us your website where our listeners can get your book and other resources? Yeah, sure. My website is AuthenticIntimacy.com, and you can find out everything we do there, uh, as well as the book Rethinking Sexuality. Or if you just want to get the book, type in Rethinking Sexuality and by Julie Slattery, and you should see it pop up. Well, thank you so much, and we highly recommend it. And we'll just say goodbye and God bless for now. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you. Bye, Bye now.
Let's talk about marriage, sponsored by Love Savers Ministry. This is Sandy Fox, ministering the blessings of covenant. Love can be defined in lots of ways, but in marriage, I love you really means I promise to be there for you all of my days. It is a promise that says I'll be there when you lose your job, your health, your parents, your looks, your confidence, your friends. Since God keeps his promises, we must keep ours too especially the one we made before God, our family, our friends, and to each other when we said, I do. I've heard the most important 15 words we can say are, I was wrong, I am sorry, please forgive me, I love you, I need you. If you want prayer for your marriage, please call Love Savers, 917-804-5034. That's 917-804-5034. And remember, love never fails.